Hi, and welcome back to the Daily Tech Start, where I share with you my day-to-day experiences working in a tech company and the lessons I learn along the way. And this is episode 14. So I'm back. Um, I know I've gone quiet for about two weeks, um, which is really stupid since I've just gotten into a good rhythm um, with Anchor and with this podcasting. Um, but I'm going to go back into the rhythm of daily podcasts. The last time I spoke to you, I was talking to you about um, the podcast I was going to do with um, EU Confidential, um, which is Politico's Euro- Europe's Politico Europe, Politico Europe's playbook. I'm sorry. Um, so they do a weekly podcast. Um, and I was on their episode 14, um, talking about a plethora of things. Um, it went really well. Um, it was actually a blast. I know Ryan, um, both the writer and the journalist and, and the person behind the podcast very well, which I think lends itself really well to podcasting because you get a really authentic and you get a natural and you get a very open discussion going. It's always dangerous, um, for lack of a better word, going into an interview with someone you're very comfortable with. Um, but I actually think it turned out well. It just You just need to remember and remind yourself whilst you're doing the interview that this is an interview um, and this is not just two friends um, catching up. Um, as I said, we spoke about a lot of things. Um, some of the things we spoke about was lack of leadership in the world. Um, and I brought up the World Economics um, global agenda survey where 86% of respondents agree that we have a leadership crisis in the world today. Um, and people agree with that in all aspects of society, business, politics, religion, sports, nonprofit. So simply put, there really isn't, there really aren't enough leaders in the world. Um, so that's a huge gap that, that, that clearly society is trying to fill at the moment. Uh, we also spoke about the rise of outsiders, um, specifically in the political space, and, and talking about how this emergence is really possible today because of the tools of leadership and the tools needed to mobilise a community and to create a political party are now avail- available to the many rather than just the few. And, and, and spoke about that, that shift that we're witnessing away from, I would say, the traditional and somewhat archaic definition of what it means to be a leader um, and moving towards new and more open definitions of that um, and really sort of this talking about the disruption in the traditional power structure this idea that you no longer need permission to lead um, but really you can just do it and I spoke about how at Nation Builder we were seeing this across across the world but I was specifically seeing this across Europe um, specifically in the last three to four years um, also spoke a fair about about how tech and politics, I believe, need to work more and more together. Um, tech's transformative effects are absolutely everywhere. I think that's undeniable. Um, and in many places in, in society, rapid technological changes really does stand in stark contrast to the lack of political change that we are seeing. Um, and technology is revolutionizing and transforming people's lives on a day-to-day basis, um, whereas politics seem to be lagging behind and somewhat feels obsolete. Um, but there really is an argument to be made that neither politics alone or tech alone is going to save us, always going to make the world a better place. We really do need more than ever, I believe, that really strong collaboration. But between politics and technology and we need um, technologists to understand politicians and we need politicians to understand technologists. So spoke a lot about that and spoke a lot about data protection and that used um, general data protection regulation that's coming back into force, uh, or that's coming into force, I should say, um, in May of next year. So lots to talk about. So I do invite you um, as a pretty long 45 minute discussion. So I do invite you to check out EU Confidential, Political Europe, Politico Europe, sorry, um, 
podcast number 14, where um, we speak at length for that with Ryan Heath. So now that um, I gave you a little bit of a debrief of um, the EU Confidential podcast that I did, I really want to spend some time today chatting about a pretty incredible um, article that I read on OpenView about Slack's multi-million dollar um, SaaS growth uh, strategy, which I really found fascinating for a variety of, uh, of reasons. Now, I'm sure most of you out there know what Slack is. Um, Slack in numbers, I mean, the numbers are absolutely impressive. They have apparently over 1.2 million paid users. And their trial to paid conversion rate is around 30%, which is absolutely huge. Um, apparently, they're the fastest growing SaaS company of all time. Um, they have 4 million active daily users. And what's most impressive and what I found fascinating reading through this article is most of this is done, um, or most of the growth um, is a result of word of mouth. Um, not so much the fancy email or marketing strategy, they, nor the multi-million dollar marketing strategy. And apparently they just started actually hiring um, sales um, people. Now, I'm often in A16Z briefings with the people from Slack. Um, so I do know that they've had um, a solid sales strategy or that they've had some salespeople there for, for at least the last six to 12 months. The reason why in the same meetings is A16Z organizes these incredible briefings with, you know, global 2000, Fortune 500 and companies and they bring in their portfolio and they do these really curated half day, full day sessions where they bring in the portfolio companies and we ultimately pitch for, for 20, 25 minutes. Um, but, but that aside, I really wanted to focus on the, the whole word of mouth aspect as still today, a lot of people seem to ignore that part of the marketing business or, or the growth strategy. And for me, in my experience, I've seen it as a really, really incredibly powerful piece of anyone's growth strategy, if done correctly. Um, and what I mean by that is word of mouth seems easy um, because there's not a lot, because it seems like there isn't a lot of monetary and time investment that goes into it, when actually if you do it properly, there is. Um, and there's some stats that I use in nearly all of my pitches um, when I talk to people about the power of word of mouth and the power of, you know, having brand advocates. Um, and these numbers are the following. 92% is the first one. 92% of Americans say they trust friend referrals, i.e. word of mouth, over any other form of marketing. And this is according, um, according to Nielsen. So if you think about it, think about the last time you were referred a product, a service, a good or a person, and the impact, um, the purchasing decision impact that that had on you. And this brings me to the second number, which is 4.7%. So 4.7% is the percentage of people who are already engaging with your brand. So 4.7% of people who are already engaging with your brand or your product um, drives 100% of word of mouth. And so there's a general misconception that we always want to try and target and engage with the people who haven't heard about our brand or product, not engaging with our services or our brand or our product. When actually, if we flip this on its head and we focused more time, more money, more effort on that 4.7% of people who are actually going to drive 100% of word of mouth, this means really getting to understand who they are, identifying them, giving them the tools, giving them the content, giving them a bit of the TLC that they need to talk on your behalf. And why should we be doing this? We should be doing this because 92% of people would rather hear from a friend or a 
family that they trust over any other form of marketing. Again, which is absurd because most companies spend most of their money and their time and their marketing effort on everything but word of mouth, billboards, paid ads, clicks, banners, you name it. Um, and then there's a the last couple of number, which is the top 5% of your typical database actually reaches 470 times the number of your entire database. And that's similar number to the 4.7%. But the whole idea is, if you've got a massive long list of people, but you don't know who they are, they're not going to be that valuable for you. And actually, what you want to do is when you start getting consumers that really love your product, really love your brand, that are fascinated and are willing to talk on your behalf, these are the people that you should be focusing on now, today, tomorrow, in the near and the long term future. These are the people that you should turn into loyal and brand advocates because really what people are fascinated about today is having that connection with the brands that they admire and the brands that they love. Um, Red Bull is so popular, Nike is so popular, not just because they have a great product, but because they've really been able to create a community around the products and the services that they deliver. Now, all that being said, and no matter how powerful, I believe, no matter how powerful traditional and innovative word of marketing, um, word of mouth, sorry, marketing tactics are, um, there's one thing that's absolutely crucial to remember. And that is no matter how good your connections are and how fantastic your product is or you believe your product is, it really doesn't matter if it doesn't actually meet sorry, the needs of the market, if it doesn't fulfill something that the market needs and requires, then it will fail. And I think that's absolutely important. To, it's the same when you say I've got an incredible pro product, but actually no one needs it. Well, that's completely pointless. So that really is an important key factor um, to keep in mind. Another, I think, apparently growth strategy, not I think, sorry, another one of the growth strategies, according to this article, that Slack um, has done extremely well is capitalizing on Medium. So they've been writing and sharing stories that people wanted that were sometimes clickbait titles, but that were and writing these stories on an already popular platform, so capitalizing on Medium's already existing community. So by really finding their voice and tapping into the type of, I want to call them real life articles um, that apparently people were reading. Um, we know that people love lists, they love how to's, they love um, articles where we're defining what success could look like and how you can get there. Um, in, in doing so, Slack often, Slack, sorry, often found itself in the sort of medium's popular, um, popular articles to read. But I think what was clever here is instead of doing what most companies do and create a beautiful website with lots of content on your website and creating a blog post where people can come and read, they actually capitalized on an already existing and an already popular platform like Medium. So on top of the word of mouth and the capitalizing on Medium's community and, and popularity, this article also goes into the paid um, advertising tactics, um, also has a look at the, the sort of landing page um, breakdown, has a look at social media traffic and how referrals are coming from, whether that's Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. So if you haven't already seen this in, in this um, article and you are interested in this type of, this type of stuff, sorry, I'm going to get there. Um, I really do in, in, invite you to go and take a look, which is the open view and then the title of the article is called Peak inside Slack's multi-million dollar SaaS growth strategy. 
So another article that caught my eye and that's got me thinking recently and is actually also closely related um, to word of mouth and maybe slightly less to the word of mouth with your customers and your consumers, but actually to the word of mouth within your company, so with your employees. And the article came out last um, last week um, and it was about how Tesla had fired hundreds of employees after performance reviews. Now, I've got an interesting um, probably a bipolar um, relationship with um, performance reviews. I actually love them in this idea that I only want to work with the very best. And if I'm giving, I'm lucky enough to have always been able to have jobs that I absolutely adore and that I'm committed to. And so I've always given it 120, 150% of my time, of my effort, of my energy. And so I really want to be surrounded by people who are giving this job the same amount of energy and the same amount of effort. Now, by energy and effort, I don't mean working crazy long days. I don't mean dedicating your whole life to it, but that you can, it's very obvious when someone is going above and beyond and when someone is just doing the nine to five. And again, the nine to five to me doesn't mean they're coming in at nine, going in. It really is just giving the bare minimum to a job. So I like performance reviews because it helps, I think, really differentiate between the people people who are giving it their all and passionate about the job and the vision of the company and willing to go above and beyond and the people who are just doing the bare minimum. I also think it just makes a difference between the people who, you know, not everyone is made to be in certain jobs. And I've said this many times at my company, I might have been the right hire for the first, you know, two to 10 employees and to build out the growth and the, build out the growth strategy for us at Nation Builder in Europe. But who knows, by the time we get to 10 employees, maybe I am the wrong person to take it to the next step and to take it forward. And I'm totally open with that. So I think there's something to be said of performance reviews, specifically in small and medium sized companies and startups and really understanding if you have the right people, because those first hundred employees are really crucial in defining, I think, a business and, and the business orientation. The other side of performance reviews is I do think it can scare people shitless. You do need to get the performance review absolutely right. And if you don't get along with your manager, you can start getting into really sort of political territories. Um, but the so I'm just curious, I guess I, I'd. I've always worked at companies who haven't been great at performance reviews. And I think mostly why companies are not great at performance reviews is because they don't try new things. And when it fails, they don't stop and try something different fast. Um, I also have found performance reviews to either be anonymous, and I don't believe that works, or really regimented and rigid um, as a sort of infrastructure and process that it basically feel cold and fake. I think performance reviews only work when you know who they're coming from, you know that that person has your best interest, and you know that this is done with people you trust. So there's a whole, I think, body of work that needs to be done um, before performance in, uh, performance reviews. But I'm curious out there who who out there has been at companies that have done really great performance reviews, um, and who's found a process and a structure um, that really works for them. <laughs>